Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, March 15th, 2023 and the end of week 55 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,304 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 385 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that Russian forces are experiencing a critical shortage of anti-tank guided missiles and man-portable anti-tank weapons. Second, we assess that Russian forces are experiencing non-precision artillery munition shortages theater-wide and that multiple intelligence sources have validated our assessment from March 12th. Third, We maintain that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached a critical state. Fourth, we assess that Russia no longer has the resources to cause catastrophic economic, social, or military disruptions by targeting Ukraine's electrical infrastructure. Fifth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. Sixth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Eighth, We maintain that, short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, those are seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of cost. Ninth, we maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Tenth, We maintain that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian MOD has reached a dangerous level that threatens to derail the only successful Russian offensive operation since June 2022 in Bakhmut. Eleventh, we maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Twelfth, 
we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is also actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, on March 14, 2022, we assessed, quote, Russia's ability to wage war in Ukraine has ground to a halt, and there are serious questions on their capabilities to make more than small gains, end quote. Russian forces failed to cross the Irpin River, and Ukrainian forces stopped advances on Kharkiv and Mykolaiv. Northwest of Kyiv, Ukrainian artillery, special operation forces, and drones shredded the now-scattered 67-kilometer Russian convoy. The first humanitarian convoy of 160 cars and trucks was able to depart from Mariupol. Fox News reporter Benjamin Hall was critically injured and his Ukrainian national production assistant killed in a Russian attack near Irpin. Russia One journalist Maria Ovsyanikova did an on-air protest during a news broadcast in Moscow condemning the escalation of the war in Ukraine. Ukrainian forces were accused of attacking the center of Donetsk with Tachka-U short-range ballistic missiles, killing between 9 and 20. Russian dictator Vladimir Putin signed a decree that authorized the seizure of up to 700 commercial aircraft leased by Russian-based airlines. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian forces attacked Dvorichna and Hryanikivka. The status of Hryanikivka is clouded in the fog of war. Local prosecutors reported they visited the village to document action by Russian snipers that fired at civilians. Additionally, the Kharkiv Oblast administrative and military governor Ole Sinyubov reported that the settlement was shelled, implying it is still under Ukrainian control. We maintain the settlement is contested. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Haidai said Russia is losing up to a company, that's 100 to 250 troops, a day in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational area, the GSAFU reported that Novoselivska was shelled. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary mill blogger War Gonzo reported that Russian forces continued attacks on Makievka, while Ukrainian and Russian sources reported sustained attacks in the direction of Nevsky. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces continued their attempts to advance out of Chervonopopivka, still without success. The Russian MOD reported fighting near Yampolivka, but it was unclear if the activity was artillery only. Fighting continued in the forests around Kremina and near Dibrova, with no change in the situation. In the Lysychansk operational area, fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, continued, with Russian aviation attacking Ukrainian positions. Ukrainian forces have crept forward over the last two weeks and are 8.5 kilometers from Lysychansk via the T-1302 highway, and four kilometers away from the city's northwest corner. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported two rockets fired by HIMARS hit Russian-occupied Bryanka, 
targeting an abandoned mine dispensary and a summer camp. A short video from the LNR broke operational security, called OPSEC, and provided a limited battle damage assessment. In Russian-occupied Stadokraznyanka, Russian propagandist Isabella Lieberman reported that the remaining residents had not received any humanitarian aid or government support from the LNR in months. Residents are surviving off what they grew from private gardens before the winter and oil. She called out LNR officials for not supporting the population. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, a graphic drone video showed that Russian forces had established forward positions, albeit tenuous ones, along the railroad tracks toward Vyamka. Based on the video showing Russian troops sleeping in trenches, we moved the line of conflict north using terrain analysis. As with most of the photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon. Russian forces attempted to advance out of Berestova and were unsuccessful. In the Solidar operational area, mercenaries with PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Vasyukivka also without success. Pro-Ukrainian analysts with Deep State reported that Zaleznyanske was captured, while Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported fighting continued. Some assessment here. We had reported that the only ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, was severed when Russian troops advanced three kilometers toward Minkivka. On top of that, the GSAFU did not mention the settlement in its morning or evening reports. In our assessment, the defense of Zaleznyanske was untenable, and we have coded the settlement as under Russian control. Valery Zaluzhny, commander-in-chief of the armed forces of Ukraine, believes that the defense of the city of Bakhmut holds back Russians and is key to the stability of the entire front in the Donbass, saying, quote, I respect the strength, bravery, and invincibility of our soldiers in Bakhmut. A defensive operation in this direction is paramount for deterring Russia. It is key to the sustainability of the entire front's defense, end quote. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, convened a meeting of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief staff yesterday to discuss the ongoing defense of Bakhmut. In his evening national address, Zelensky said, quote, After considering the progress of the defense operation on the Bakhmut front, all members of the staff expressed a common position regarding the further holding and defense of the city, end quote. Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Minkivka and the M3 or E-40 highway, but were unable to move the line of conflict. Russian forces continued to attack orihovo vasilivka from the east and north and made marginal gains. Rybar walked back its earlier claim that the village was nearly captured. PMC Wagner continued to attempt to advance west of dubovo vasilivka with Ukrainian forces clinging to the western outskirts of the settlement. Wagner also attempted to advance over the ridge in the direction of Hryurivka and was unsuccessful. We adjusted our map based on additional intelligence and reduced the area under the control of Russian forces in the Azom Metal Factory complex, limiting their area of control to the Vostok Mesh Enterprise Building. PMC Wagner attempted additional advances from Yahidne and was still unsuccessful. Further west, 
PMC Wagner continued to make repeated attempts to advance on Bothanivka and renewed attempts to advance on Hromova. We continue to see no indications that Russian forces are attempting to create a technical or operational encirclement of Bakhmut and continue to fight an attritional battle plan to push Ukrainian forces out of the city. A Russian Su-24 was shot down, with the pilot able to eject. Members of the Ukrainian 127th Brigade fought with PMC Wagner mercenaries who were committing perfidy by wearing Ukrainian military uniforms. The attack was repulsed with one prisoner taken. Alexander Leitiocha, a Ukrainian soldier with the 93rd Motor Infantry Brigade, wrote a brutally honest assessment of the situation in Bakhmut. He reported that Ukrainian forces were experiencing a, quote, catastrophic shortage of shells, adding, quote, we know 75% of the main firing positions of the enemy, the command posts of the company battalion level, but our artillery is sitting still, end quote. Much like Russian forces, promises of additional ammunition have gone unanswered. Leitiocha's conclusion was in all caps, quote, this post should not be considered a call to retreat from Bakhmut, three exclamation points. We will fulfill our duty until the end, whatever that is, one exclamation point, end quote. Compared to 2022, the lack of thermal anomalies on NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, indicates that both combatants suffer from artillery ammunition shortages. FIRMS showed what is likely Ukrainian artillery shelling the area just north of the industrial zone, while Russian forces appear to be shelling Ukrainian defensive lines in the southern part of Bakhmut. Fighting continued south of Ivanivsky with no change to the situation. There were unverified reports that Russian DRG units had briefly reached the area where the MiG-17 display used to be, but there were no pictures or videos to support the claims. Some assessment? The distance between the northern and southern Russian advance remains approximately four kilometers. Russian military remains committed to capturing Bakhmut at all costs, short of Seaburn, and Ukraine is committed to defending the city because they see it as a strategic priority. In yesterday's assessment, we noted that Ukraine needed to make a decision. Well, it's been made. Both combatants report identical issues. Reliance on poorly trained troops the loss of experienced fighters and leaders, and a critical lack of ammunition. Bakhmut has become a knife fight between two people handcuffed together, sealed in a closet, with the lights off. That's a very specific description. The initiative belongs to Russia, but when we ask ourselves, does President Zelensky value the Ukrainian people? After considering his actions since being elected, the answer is yes. The next question is, has President Zelensky shown the courage to question his military commanders, and have those commanders made sound military decisions? The answer to the first part of the question is yes, and the second answer is mostly. Uncertainty rewards the bold, and we hope Ukraine has a bold plan. Kramatorsk was attacked by Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles, damaging six apartment buildings, including destroying a three-story complex. The attack killed one and wounded nine, with search operations continuing at the time of recording. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. 
Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, Oleksiy Dmitrashkivsky, spokesman for the Joint Press Office of the Armed Forces of the Tavria Front, said, quote, The enemy, Russia, is out of breath. If we compare this to last week, the enemy has significantly reduced the number of assault operations and attacks. It was about 600 attacks, and today it is a little bit less. Up to 30 assaults per day, he meant night, and 200 to 250 attacks per day. There is a lot of talk about the lack of munitions, artillery hunger. They, Russia, have a limit established that they cannot exceed. If they do, they will be left without shells the next day. And it is not only Prigozhin's problem who says there's not enough munitions for him, it is a general issue in the Russian army. End quote. The Second Army Corps, formerly of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, continued their attacks on the Krasnohorivka Plateau, Kamyanka, and attempted to attack Novokalinove. There was more clarity about the situation in Krasnohorivka, with Rybar reporting fighting was ongoing in the settlement, while Wargonzo reported only artillery strikes. We maintain that Krasnohorivka and Kamyanka are contested. Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Avdiivka, with Ukrainian sources reporting fighting east of the city and Russian sources reporting attacks from the south. Social media users in occupied Donetsk shared pictures of a large fire burning in the direction of Yansinovata, east of Avdiivka. NASA firms clearly showed multiple thermal anomalies northwest of Yasyanuvata. The hotspots are adjacent to a manure lagoon turned firebase by the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, before 2022, due east of Kamyanka. In our assessment, ammunition for Russian artillery positions was hit, or there is a violation of safety protocols by a Russian Mobik with a cigarette. It's probably that one. The 1st Army Corps, formerly of the DNR, continued attacks west of Vodyana along the northern edge of Perevomaiske and north towards Sieverne. The Russian MOD made an unusual claim in their morning report, stating, quote, An ammunition depot of the 72nd Mechanized Brigade of the Armed Forces of Ukraine was destroyed in the village of Vodyana in the Donetsk People's Republic, end quote. Russian forces control Vodyana, and there have not been any claims of the settlement being recaptured. So... NASA firms did show a thermal anomaly in Sieverne, but within the village itself, not south toward Vodyana. We're not adjusting the map, but this would not be the first time the Russian MOD self-declared a territorial loss in a so-called victory claim. North of Vodyana, Russian forces continued to try to advance armored vehicles without light infantry support in the same location and achieve the same results. A Russian armor column moving towards Sieverne came under artillery fire and was combat destroyed. A surviving infantry fighting vehicle, or IFV, retreated to the east. In the northern part of Pervomaiske, it was a similar situation. Two Russian tanks advancing north came under artillery fire and one was destroyed. The second tank moves away before turning around, 
striking an anti-tank mine. It's just not their day. Ukrainian forces also pounded Russian troops in the northeastern part of the village, with a graphic video showing a squad rendered combat destroyed. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces attempted to advance in the direction of Mitrailove and were unsuccessful. Attempts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelscape obviously continued. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued in the former town of Marinka, where Druzhby Avenue used to be. Russian forces continued their attempts to capture the pig farm east of Pobida and had no success there either. Novomikhailivka again? Yes. Successful? No. Moving on. In the Vuhledar operational area, Russian troops are repeating the same mistakes. During today's attack, a video showed an IFV, which may or may not have had dismounts, striking an anti-tank mine in the same region dozens of armored vehicles were destroyed. Incredibly, the gunners survived and pulled themselves out of the twisted metal. Fighting continued in the Mikilska Dachas, with Russian forces suffering heavy losses. The GSAFU reported that another group of a thousand Mobics has arrived in Yalta, southwest of Mariupol. Yalta has been a final training ground for Russian troops destined to fight in Vukhledar since early February, this being the fourth group to rotate into the seaside village. There were more explosions in Mariupol. Despite various claims that the blasts were not attack-related, Russian forces started distributing and hiding military equipment across the city, including in already shattered civilian areas. Okay, so we were skeptical of the reports and pictures showing Russia had grafted two M3 1950s-era 25mm dual anti-aircraft naval turrets onto MTLB armored personnel carriers. Once pictures emerged of them on railroad cars moving into Ukraine, we reported the necessity is the mother of invention, mobile anti-aircraft solution as fact. Insurgents in Mariupol snapped a picture of the MTLB 2M3 on a flatbed truck being moved through the city. Ukraine gets Gephards from Germany, and Russia gets MTLB 2M3s with manually targeted guns exposing the operators. Now, as ridiculous as the vehicle looks, the old saying, if it works, it's not stupid, must be applied. We will be curious to see how these do in battle if they ever see combat. And remember, pictures or it didn't happen, okay? In the DNR, age restrictions for firefighters have been eliminated in a decree signed by President Putin. Finding people to fill civil servant roles has been extremely challenging. Most men under retirement age have been conscripted, forced mobilized into the First Army Corps, or have the financial means to bribe their way out of military service and aren't looking for a job. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Russian collaborator Vladimir Rogov, part of the occupied Zaporizhia administration, confirmed that fellow Russian collaborator Ivan Tkach was killed when a car bomb obliterated his Toyota Land Cruiser Prado in the center of Melitopol. Tkach was the owner of the largest transportation company in Ukraine. Also, there were no updates on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, 
Operational Command South or OCS Director of Communications Natalia Humenyuk reported that in the morning, the Russian Black Sea Fleet had eight vessels on patrol with one kilo-class submarine capable of launching four caliber cruise missiles. The number expanded to 17 ships, including three frigates and one kilo-class submarine capable of launching 28 cruise missiles in total. In what was likely a test of Ukrainian air defense, two Russian Su-24 multi-role fighter planes fired four KH-31P air-to-surface anti-radiation missiles toward the beach resort town of Zatoka, southwest of Odessa. All four missiles were intercepted, with debris from one striking the Zoltarybka Children's Educational Institution. There were no injuries reported. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery across the Dnipro River. Russian forces executed 78 fire missions, firing 396 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, and indirect tank fire. Kherson residential areas were attacked seven times, with four people wounded. In the city of Kherson, Russian forces targeted St. Nicholas Church, causing moderate damage. In Russian-occupied Abrikosivka, a Ukrainian strike destroyed four Russian armored vehicles and killed 15 soldiers. Russian occupiers engaged in reprisals against the local population, searching homes, phones, tablets, and computers, accusing residents of being collaborators due to the accuracy of the strikes. In north and northeast Ukraine, military officials will review the existing defenses built hastily a year ago for removal, suspension, or upgrades. Some defensive structures will be removed, including filling in trenches, Others will be put into so-called sleep mode. The checkpoint and defenses will be cleared from the road, but the materials will remain and inspected regularly so they can be quickly redeployed if the city needs to be defended. Other, more critical checkpoints will be upgraded. On the Russian front, in Bilgorod, air defense was active, with Russian officials claiming three missiles were shot down. Residents shared pictures of debris that landed in the city, although there were no reports of major damage or injuries. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. United States Air Force General James B. Hacker, Commander USAF Europe and Africa, reported, quote, two Russian Su-27 jets conducted a dangerous and unprofessional interception of a U.S. Air Force MQ-9 intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance drone operating in international airspace over the Black Sea today, end quote. One of the Russian Su-27 struck the MQ-9's propeller, forcing U.S. forces to end the flight of the MQ-9 by crashing it into international waters. General Hacker added, quote, Several times before the mid-air collision, the Su-27 jettisoned fuel and flew in front of the MQ-9 recklessly, environmentally unsafe, and unprofessionally. This incident shows a lack of competence in addition to being dangerous and unprofessional. Our MQ-9 aircraft was conducting a routine operation in international airspace when it was intercepted and engaged by a Russian aircraft, resulting in the crash and total loss of the MQ-9. In fact, this dangerous and unprofessional act by the Russians almost caused the downing of both planes. 
U.S. and allied aircraft will continue to operate in international airspace, and we urge the Russians to behave professionally and safely. End quote. Some assessment? NATO air assets will likely fly with combat air patrols for several weeks before the world forgets about this incident completely. The Ukrainian National Security Council refuted the Washington Post story about the deterioration of the Ukrainian army due to the loss of skilled fighters and that the widely anticipated spring counteroffensive has been endangered. Oleksiy Danilov, the secretary of the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine, said, quote, What they say is not valid. Yes, there is a problematic situation. We have been waging war against a larger country for a year, but not larger in reason. We knew it would be difficult for us, but now to shake up the situation by providing information that does not correspond to reality is not very pleasant. End quote. The Ukrainian cabinet of ministers has approved the dismissal of Maxim Marchenko, the head of the Odessa Oblast State Administration, Serhii Khamalyi, the head of the Khmelnytsky Oblast State Administration, and Serhii Haidai, the head of the Luhansk Oblast State Administration. Governor Haidai was reportedly moving to the diplomatic service. OCS Communications Director Humenyuk reported that the Ukrainian arms manufacturer Ukroboronprom, in cooperation with a NATO nation, has started mass production of 125mm tank rounds for the T-64, T-72, T-80, and T-90 main battle tanks, or MBTs, and the first batch of ammunition had reached Ukraine. Ukrainian troops training in Germany have started live-fire exercises with the United States M1A2 Abrams MBT. Mateusz Morawiecki, Prime Minister of Poland, said that Ukraine might be supplied with its MiG-29 fighters within the next four to six weeks. Earlier, Andrzej Duda, President of Poland, said that Warsaw is ready to supply Ukraine with its MiG-29 fighters within the framework of the international coalition, saying, quote, the rest of the MiG-29 fighters that are in service in the air forces of Poland, we are ready to send these fighters to Ukraine, and I am sure that Ukraine will be ready to use them right away. End quote. Some assessment here. It has been 53 weeks since the idea of sending Polish MiG-29s to Ukraine was first discussed. NATO could have solved all the barriers preventing the transfer of modern fourth-generation aircraft to Ukraine by now. Stop talking, do something. Less chat, more bliat. Josep Borrell, High Representative of the European Union for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy and Vice President of the European Commission, expects the EU ministers to approve his plan to accelerate providing artillery munitions to Ukraine while improving European security from Russian aggression. His three-part plan includes 1. Ensuring the immediate delivery of more artillery ammunition to the Ukrainian armed forces out of existing member states' stock. 2. Aggregate demand in Europe and fast-track the procurement of 155mm ammunition to backfill member states' stocks and ensure long-term support to Ukraine. 3. Support the rapid ramping up of manufacturing capabilities of the European defense industry. Kaiser Ollengren, Defense Minister of the Netherlands, announced the transfer of two Alkmaar-class minesweepers to Ukraine during her visit to Odessa. The vessels are part of the Dutch fleet and were slated for retirement in 2025. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, 
Stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.